Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Happy Emancipation Day. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Emancipation Day. Thank you. Um, yeah, it is Emancipation Day. And I have a lot of feelings about Emancipation Day. I mean, it's being recognized mm. in Canada now. It's also Jamaica's Independence Day. It is a day um, across a lot of black cultures where you, you'll see uh, festivals like Caravana uh, and so on in celebration of uh, emancipation. And the deep feelings are always about how much work there is to be done, reflections upon um, what elders and ancestors have gone through uh, and how emancipation is an unfinished project. Mm. And so here we are on... August 1st, which is when we're recording this, and it is Emancipation Day, and it, it's a reminder uh, of all of the responsibility that remains. Yeah, thanks for that. That's um, I've been seeing a lot more of it in media, and, and maybe, maybe that's part of how we talk about journalism <laughs> these days, because it does seem a little bit detached from that, that work, that, that like living and breathing part of emancipation that doesn't fit so neatly into the narratives of, oh, remember when slavery was abolished? Yay, right? Like not even to, to talk about how many journalists in this country would argue that there was never slavery in Canada. But uh, usually mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I get to go to a barbecue this weekend and I'm, I'm not going this weekend, so that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Barbecues on Emancipation Weekend is a, is a lovely thing. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, I was at this weekend um, the National Black Canadian Summit and uh, there was a declaration that was made at the end of the summit that is uh, being called the Halifax Declaration. That it's kind of like a, a program for uh, what uh, at this day and age Black people in Canada are calling for. Um, one of uh, the most important of which, and I mean, there were Black people across, um, you know, across different political. Uh, um, uh, orientations at this thing. There was almost, I think it was over at least 1,300 people in Halifax uh, for this for this summit. It was pretty amazing. Um, and one of the most important things, I think, is that people discussed uh, how uh, we need to, to be uh, decarceral and needed to, uh, you know, be talking about reductions in policing and incarceration and so on as a program for what black people in this country are calling for uh, in a unified way. And that I think is, is, is really uh, such a move forward. So, um, and such a, uh, an accomplishment to have so many people uh, come together and agree on something like that. Uh, So yeah, I'm feeling, feeling um, inspired in a way, you know, like that was pretty good. That's awesome. I mean, I was a little bit inspired by uh, the incredible dedication to recycling and reusing that the Federal Green Party gave us this past week wah, wah. in announcing in announcing that Elizabeth May is going to run to be the leader of that party. OK, when I saw that again, I actually like really did consider calling you and saying, 
Collect your people, Nora. <laughs> Collect your people. This is the second <laughs> white woman <laughs> in a week <laughs> to pull this stunt and uh, this sort of stunt, um, a stunt that is in this, a similar realm. And of course, I'm talking about Andrea Horvath, who's like, you know, running for mayor of uh, Hamilton, even though she was just elected to be an MPP. Um, mm. And the thing that I think is the funniest about that uh, Elizabeth May situation is like, Everything that happened in the last couple of years with Annamie Paul and like the whole like uh, hands offness of which, you know, she responded to it with like, I, I don't I don't have any power here <laughs> I yeah, I yeah. stepped away. I am not a part of this whole thing. And here she is uh, coming back in a big way. And of course, I don't know if you've seen this, but she's also sponsored the return, I suppose I should say, of a bill uh, in in the House uh, on environmental racism, which I uh, I mean, the bill is empty. Uh, there's nothing in it. But oh. <laughs> it's just it's like we should study environmental racism. OK, that's about as far as it goes. Um, it's very short. Uh, as someone who's written bills, Nora, uh, Nora and I have have like collaborated on writing bills before. You'll be you'll find it really funny when you read it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I just think it, it's like it's hilarious. As you know, after everything that's happened in the Green Party uh, in the last little bit, you know, she submits this bill on environmental racism and is like, "I'm coming back." <laughs> just like, okay, Green Party, uh, you have a decision to make and. Uh, if you make this one, um, you can add reduce to to the uh, recycle and reuse. <laughs> this episode is not about the Green Party. Um, we will get into the topic in a bit, uh, which is going to be about journalism in general right now. But I do think it is worth underlining this. Like the idea that Elizabeth May can come back after the last three years is is really funny. Like it's... It's real this hour is 22 minutes level comedy. Uh, and what I mean by that is like it's it's a particularly kind of Canadian funny that most people won't laugh at. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> I'll think it's brilliant. <laughs> and, and in the background of all of this, I mean, as you mentioned, like the whole the whole um, the whole era of anime Paul. I mean, it's like it just seems so <laughs> unfair and brutal to her. Like. To have this, this the leader who, 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 you know, regardless of what she said, she still obviously had a huge role. She played a huge role in what happened with with uh, with Annamie Paul. And then to be like, oh, I'm hands off, I'm hands off, I'm hands off. But like, oh, actually, you know what? Fuck, guys, it uh, looks like I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to run again. It's very funny. Now, there was another candidate running for the leadership of the Green Party, someone named Alex Tyrell, who is the president of the Quebec Green Party. And he... Uh, has been kicked out of the race. It got a mention in the Toronto Star, but otherwise not too much. Did you hear about this, Sandy? I did. I heard about it because a listener has sent it to us as a as an email um, saying that it was something that we should should know about. But beyond that, I haven't seen it in the news. Hmm. I I also got that message, but I had seen it earlier, and I I don't know Alex very well, but we've been in touch a couple of times, and actually uh, we'll get to meet in person this week just by happenstance because Alex has been doing uh, actions outside of arms facilities, uh, arms manufacturing facilities in Quebec, and so he'll oh, show up. Oh, that's fantastic. Out 
yeah, he'll show up outside of General Dynamics or whatever and have a little press conference and then talk to the workers who are working there about what they think about working in arms manufacturing and, and you know, could, could you imagine any other kind of future? How do we change these things so that these facilities become obsolete? And so he's actually, uh, he was in St. Augustin, which is, I mean, just outside of Quebec City for all intents and purposes, it is Quebec City, and um, had a little action yesterday. And, um, and so I'm excited to actually talk with him. But yeah, so he got kicked out of the party, not just the leadership race, but they also revoked his membership because he has been oh, very what? critical. Yep. He has been very critical of Canada's posturing and positioning around the war in Ukraine. And the Green Party said that that, has, that was unacceptable and they just fucking kicked him out of the party. Sorry, it's unacceptable to critique the Canada's stance on the war in Ukraine from the Green Party? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, because um, it is a war uh, of the environment. I'm, I'm not sure if you heard that about what's going on over there. I did not realize that the Green Party was so <laughs> pro-war, but here we are. Interesting. Um, maybe war is uh, a strategy to solving um, our uh, eventual demise <laughs> as a species. Well, I mean, it certainly would be a, the cyanide pill if we needed to f- end ourselves very quickly rather than be burned alive by, um, you know, by forest fires or or boiling seas or whatever. But it, it, it is something that I think that left wing people should be paying attention to because, you know, the Green Party has a solid left wing in it. It's not a, necessarily a left wing party overall. But let's keep in mind that the Green Party MP Mike Morris was the only person that stood up to the governments invoking the Emergencies Act. Um, like, I think that's very significant. Uh, only person on the left. Of course, the Conservatives voted against it as well. Um, but f- it, it's quite something to see a party act like this um, f- around a, a question as, as fundamental and as, as important as war. And I don't know what's next for Alex, um, but people should be thinking about those kinds of actions, identifying where arms facilities are are in their in their regions. I mean, thanks to Alex, I now know that there are a whole bunch in my region. I didn't know that. And um, and I don't know, as I say, what's next for him, but it is a really scary uh, thought that a federal party could just like close ranks like that so quickly and there'd be so little outrage uh, around it. So listeners, you now know, uh, look into this. And um, we'll keep watching to see what goes on. Um, but uh, let's let's always do what we can to defend folks who are taking principled anti-war positions. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Okay, so the news. Ah, uh, the news. The news. Okay, so I've been I've been thinking a lot, uh, as I said last last week, about like how we talk about all the things that are the most urgent. Um, things that are impacting our lives. Like, I mean, gosh, the climate crisis, very urgent. But it almost feels like, you know, that that uh, parable, maybe it's maybe parable is too strong a word. But you know, that that thing that people um, that story that people often tell about like the frog in the pot. If you like throw a- I think that was a parable. I think Jesus actually stated that on the mount. Look, I was not great at Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, really not. <laughs> no, great. that would be a hilarious Bible story. <laughs> oh, it's not. You're just making that up. No, yes. dude, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't do that Sorry. to me. My family members <laughs> listening to this show <laughs> think that I'm, I was a terrible 
student of God. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he changed the boiling water into boiling wine and then the frog became delicious. Stop it. Okay. So <laughs> Nora's going now. Um, there's, so, you know, so for, for people who are still following along, the frog, you throw the frog into boiling water, it jumps out, you know, it's hurt. But if you put a, a frog into cold water and then slowly start to boil it, it dies because it never, you know, jumps out. It's never like hit. Um, at a particular, you know, like it's never hit with all of the, the owie uh, at one time that makes it want to jump out. <laughs> You're also really good at biology, I hear too. <laughs> and being articulate. Um, so, so in any case, it, it kind of feels like what's happening on the news, or it just kind of feels like what's happening with the climate crisis altogether is like we're being slowly boiled um, instead of having this like shock. Uh, but a part of that is just how we talk about it. And I, I look at the news and mainstream news and the way that it's, it, it's being broadcast. And it has followed the same format as uh, you know for for decades you know you have like the first part of the news that talks about like whatever you know i don't know gun violence or something weird that's happening i i watched a couple episodes of the the national and trying to uh, sort of prepare for this because i don't i don't really watch (laughs) the news anymore but um most people get their news by watching the news it is still the truth that the majority of people get their their news by watching it um So watched a couple episodes and it's just like, you know, the beginning is it it might be about uh, Trump and uh, January 6th. It might be about uh, the Pope arriving. It might be about, um, you know, a a dangerous um, person who's who's killed people who are houseless in B.C. and Langley. Um, It might be about it might be about floods and fires happening elsewhere in the world, but it is never followed with any why mm-hmm. it's never followed with any why and it's completely inconsistent um how we decide or how they decide what is the most important thing to discuss and that you know so you have those like top news stories and then it's followed by weather always which i'm sure i've ranted about on this show before i think that the weather section of the news is so bizarre <laughs> like it's just why is this here i i don't understand why you've taken this entire block um to talk about uh meteorology like it's a, it's very interesting <laughs> um decision <laughs> um <laughs> and then you move to sports and then it's over and i feel like perhaps that was a system a format that worked at a time when you were trying to figure out how to get this information that would have once been told only by the written word or only by audio to uh, to an audience who is now watching. But in today's day and age, like I don't understand why we don't just have a climate section of the news. It's like the first the first thing. And I see CBC seems to be trying to do some of this stuff. Like they've changed their website, for example, to have like one of the headers is, is CBC news. One of the headers is climate. It's like, you know, world, local climate. Like, you know, it's one of the things I just don't understand why we're not doing that everywhere. Why climate isn't one of the big things that we see everywhere. Um, as one of the, the first things that we're talking about. And when we do talk about climate, I really don't understand why it is always divorced 
from anything that anyone is doing that has created the climate crisis that we have. It's just like, ah, floods are happening. People are, you know, losing their possessions. We're looking for the missing. Um, fires are happening. People are trying to evacuate. Okay, so now on to sports. It's like, can we pause for a second? It's not just the fact. It's like, you know, there are climate bills that are being considered um, in the United States and Canada and all over the world. There are um, programs that people can be getting involved in that would have an impact on this stuff. There are corporations who have direct responsibility for this stuff. And why is that not part of that news? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know the answer to this, but I, I, I think that it's, it's super helpful to, to detangle it. Thanks for the confidence. <laughs> no, if, of course, I know the answer. I just, you know, I want I want to make sure that everyone's also asking these questions to themselves. Yeah, I didn't want to answer this in a way for you to go, well, Nora, I know that obviously because I know you know. But it's very useful for us to go through this because it isn't like when you are, are letting this stuff wash over you, it can feel really frustrating because it's like, and I'm seeing this all the time, that that people are like, well, if only there had been coverage about COVID or the healthcare system during the Ontario election, Doug Ford wouldn't have gotten reelected. It's like... Nope, that's that's not how this happens, right? If only there was coverage about COVID and we were taking COVID seriously and there was better coverage of COVID, then we would be managing the pandemic better. It's like, no, that's not it either, actually. That journalism today is like, first of all, it's a shadow of its former self. Even, even two decades ago, three decades ago, four decades ago, shadow, shadow, shadow of its former self. And partly that's because, as you know, as you alluded to with the weather stuff, like we can get the original information ourselves. I can go to Environment Canada. I can get a better weather forecast than I will get at the Weather Channel uh, that I will get um, by like sitting at my radio and making sure that I'm listening at you know, seven minutes after the hour to catch that, that, that weather report, I, I can get that information. And so news, even though the world has completely fundamentally changed in terms of information, news hasn't really changed. And in fact, what it's done is it's uh, gotten far worse, it's atrophied, and it has consistently cut out the part of the news that explains the why. And yes, like that. And that that's all that this is, is that we systematically never receive the why of these issues unless you're reading a 1500 word feature, unless you're watching a documentary, uh, pretty much anywhere else. You're never going to get the the answer to the question why. And so you're left there like completely confused as to how it can be. That uh, that the news is not explaining the connections between, let's say, I don't know, climate change and the rise of zoonotic diseases, for example, uh, or climate change and insurance rates or climate change and the stress on the food systems or food industries or inflation and the connection to profits. Right. Like there's so every single issue, every single fucking issue in the news right now has very easy to explain whys. And you will be hard-pressed to find journalism that actually goes into that why. And there are a whole bunch of technical reasons for that, but far more insidious are the political reasons for that that are just not talked about enough. And one very excellent example of this 
is the news from last week that I'm sure no one saw unless they were on Twitter paying attention to this because there were only two news agencies that covered it. But Post Media has a new chair. Paul Godfrey, who is the founding chair of Post Media, which is the company that owns more than 130 media properties in this country, by far the largest share of media in Canada. They own all of the, the newspapers in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. They own all of the newspapers in Calgary, in Edmonton, in Ottawa. <laughs> they own the Vancouver Sun. They own the Montreal Gazette. They, of course, own the National Post. And they got a new chair. And that new chair is someone named Jamie Irving. Now, if you're not from East Canada, if you're not from the East Coast, you might not know who Jamie Irving is. Uh, Maybe you don't know who the Irvings are. But this is someone who was given his first publisher job at the age of 27 in New Brunswick because he's part of the Irving Empire, one of Canada's absolutely filthiest rich families. And now he's the chair of Post Media. So why don't we have the why part of the climate change question of fires and floods and temperature increases and heat waves and all this stuff? Well, probably because you've got the fucking company that is ideologically uh, in favor of what's driving climate change, uh, that is materially in favor of what's driving climate change, right? They benefit financially from climate change. And they've just appointed a guy whose family's money is in oil shipping, forestry or deforestry uh, and media. And so, yeah, of course, we're not going to fucking hear the why, regardless of how many times an editor is like, oh, we are editorially independent. It's like the fuck you are like you are to an extent, but you're not fucking pushing boundaries like under no circumstances are you pushing boundaries. Uh, for fear of being fired or laid off or iced out or, you know, have your career ruined, which would be quite easy. So, uh, I mean, it's just so wild to me. And I, I imagine you didn't even see that news, as I've, as I've said. No, I 100% didn't. No. No. Um, and yeah, that's I, I love how you put that, that it's like the why that's missing. Because, I mean, that's been an issue in news um, forever, like, uh, but it is more of an issue in news. But the, the the impacts of it are really tangible because the way that this impacts, let's say, the population when uh, when an election comes up, for example, is it's like if you're watching the news and what you're seeing all the time, all the time, is this like these stories that are divorced from any discussion about who's who's responsible or why this is happening you might um be seeing stories that are like you know the easiest stories to tell and the top news is is crime like somebody over there did something somebody over there did something that that crime quote unquote may or may not impact your life and the likelihood that it impacts your life is is low because what we see on the news often especially local news that is top news about crime is is usually isolated incidents um, that are connected to how our society is is organized but you know we never get into that on the news it's just this sort of violence has happened um, uh, if it makes the news and uh, what that 
what that leads to then in like a political situation is uh, a political situation where politicians can very easily just be like, I'm going to be tough on crime. And then people want to vote for the person who's going to be tough on crime because they think that crime is the number one thing because that's what they've seen um, every day streaming into their uh, television sets for the first five to seven minutes is these reports on crime when really it's a specter, like it doesn't mean anything. What the When the most important ways that we could address safety or the most important issues impacting your own safety and security, uh, whether that's, you know, the climate or, uh, you know, how inflation is, is affecting our lives, those things aren't discussed. And then so politicians, people who are in power, have the power to change these things through um, policy and regulation get a free pass because the way that we are getting this information is completely divorced from why or analysis. I I was also um, uh, thinking about this as connected to the crisis that's happening uh, in healthcare. Uh, you know, I was I was talking to a friend of mine who's just like, I just don't know, you know, like, what is it that they're going to do? Like, it just seems like this was all just like created by the pandemic. And it's like, you know, like what 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 can they do? Like, there's nothing to do. It's just like we're just going to have to wait for the system to like work itself out. And, you know, I'm just like, you can only believe that if if you've never been engaged in the question of why, right? Like, the, yeah. what can you do with the with the medical system? Like, I wish, gosh, I wish the news was having real conversations about this. It's like, man, we have a shortage of doctors. That didn't happen yesterday. That happened a long time ago. We have a shortage of nurses. That didn't happen yesterday. It happened a long time ago. Because the system has been operating at its limit, at the moment where something terrible happens, of course, there's catastrophe. But it doesn't erase the fact that there were always things that they could do from, you know, gosh, if we have a shortage of, of something in the country, let's make sure there are more, like uh, eliminate entrance exams that have nothing to do with anything, you know, make tuition free, like make sure that you have a supply of people coming through who are being educated so that we have this uh, in our country. There are so many people, I am sure, who would want to be doctors, who would want to be nurses, but are unable to access those professions because we have created gates in front of the door. But that is not a part of the discussion. It's just like, man, look, you know, emergency rooms are shutting down. Whoa, pandemic really hurt us. Okay, let's move on. And telling the story in that way, divorced from the decisions that got us to this place. I mean, we have to be able to have real conversations in order to solve any of these problems. Otherwise, we're just we're truly like doom scrolling on TV. Well, it's so interesting, too. Like, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a friend of mine who works for a ministry of health somewhere in Canada. And they were saying to me, you know, I've been tasked with trying to, like, provide options for how we're going to solve the crisis in staffing in, in our system. And I was like, well, I mean, the most obvious is to just eliminate the financial barriers to become whatever the fuck people want to become, whether that's a personal care worker or a doctor. And their response was, you know, this government... And that's a non-starter because they, they, they believe in elitist education. They want people to have to pay to become a doctor or else 
the the status associated with that goes away or something like this. They'll never consider a free education. What the education. fuck do you mean it's a non-starter? Isn't it unbelievable? And so instead what they're trying to figure out is how do they pick off nurses from Germany or from, uh, you know, uh, England or France or Italy who would just come to Canada for fucking whatever reason, right? And that kind of thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of thing is like. If you have your ears to the ground and you know what's going on and you know the political orientation of a government of the day, you don't need to do like investigations, freedom of information requests, getting documents, finding emails. You could actually do analysis and pose those questions to politicians themselves and try to get them on the record uh, and challenging them to say this or talking to opposition parties who can challenge the government to say these things. Like there's a whole way that we could be doing analytical news in this country that is just not happening because you cannot be too confrontational. You cannot be too critical of power. And I really, everything just goes back to that, that like the entire media establishment in this country serves power. They don't challenge power. There's not a single fucking media organization that can genuinely claim that they challenge power of the mainstream corporate media world. Of course, there's a lot of independents that do what they can, but it leaves us with this like idea that we're doing everything. Everything's being tried. There's nothing we can do. The status quo is the best we can hope for. And we just need to kind of keep our heads down and things will be okay. It's really shocking if you think about that. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can look at how uh, analysis in particular is just like doesn't exist anymore. Analysis was completely replaced by hacks, pundits, like partisan packs, partisan pundits, uh, you know, uh, news people that have no fucking business doing analysis because they barely can do news. And then you get this opinion that is so torqued by public relation firms or by partisan interests that you can't get an honest fucking explanation of what the fuck is going on because everyone's being paid to say what they're being, what they're saying. And no one is actually doing analysis. Like think of the fact that Canada, English Canada doesn't have a single, a single fucking television show dedicated to long-form analysis. There's no show where you're going to have a bunch of people sitting together and debating an issue in a free kind of thought, unless it's like oriented to an issue and then you have this person from this organization and this lobby group and this politician. Like the closest it gets is like the agenda, which is like fucking, I don't know, like I'm not a huge fan of the agenda, the guests that they have are always ideologically driven by fucking something. And very rarely someone will pop through the, the, the ether that you'll be like, oh, they let someone pass the censors. That's great. That's public broadcasting on Ontario. There's nothing national. And it's just that, like, what are what are they afraid of? Like, that, that could be popular television. Those are the kinds of clips from the UK that go viral when you see people challenging one another in front of a fucking audience. We can't even do that in Canada because the censors, the owners, the Paul Godfreys or the fucking Jamie Irvings or the Galen Westons who are not media barons, but they got their fingers all over capital in this fucking country. They don't want that. And then the CBC is all like, oh, my God, we're going to just be so cut if Pierre Paul ever becomes uh, the prime minister. So we just can't even run a report on the new fucking chairman of Post Media. Like, it's just so weird. It's it, it makes no sense until you like think about it and you're like, oh, no, this makes total sense. It's in the service, the full service of capital. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, the, the to do here, like the, what do we do about it is, I mean, I'm always appealing to the journalists who listen to the show because I'm, I'm constantly meeting journalists who listen to this show. So for those of you who are journalists, uh, who are producers, like really do think about some of this stuff. Like it is, I mean, gosh, it's like 2022. It is uh, a prime time to think about changing how news is delivered and created and like what it is that news is trying to say uh, to people. And if you can um, have influence on those things, please do. But also, I think that we generally, as we're in this space, I think it's going to be uh, true that less and less people are going to start getting their news from from television and more and more people are going to start getting their news from other places. And, you know, that's already uh, what what is happening there is because the news makes no sense. A lot of people are going out and trying to find news sources that do make sense to them. I think that that's why this podcast works. It's why YouTube is weird and a thing, you know. Um, but but that uh, is also something that we're going to have to start thinking about because as people are going to need to be critical about the, the way, what sources they're getting their news from, it's going to be harder to figure out what's real and what's not real as the mainstream news, the, the stuff that you're supposed to be able to trust, uh, public news sources, uh, become more, less and less trustworthy as the news is just is not really news. It's just like a series of things that have happened. And so, um, you know, we as people who are uh, on the left and who are potentially creating our own news sources, we really have to think about how it is that we are going to drive through the why and combat other whys that are ideologically driven and don't make sense. Yeah, but there's, of course, a limit to what we can do is the problem. Like, you know, independent news, there's a lot of really great independent news that's been popping up. And I just kind of did an inventory of the of the work that I've done in the last year. And I realized, like, wow, I, I really started to do only news with independence rather than the mainstream outlets, which I had been doing more and more the previous years before that. And there's these are systemic issues, right? So, like, to, to fight a systemic issue, like, you can't just have the individuals themselves trying to do what they can, you know, put their body in the machine because the machine will eat them up. Um, but that isn't to say we shouldn't try because we have to. We all have a responsibility for doing this kind of thing to do our best. I think that we need to look at the issues that we care about, whether that is climate change or whether that is the pandemic or food prices or uh, the affordability crisis and housing and, uh, you know, whatever, incarceration or decarceration or, or defunding the police. Every one of the issues that we care about, I think that we need to be on a constant search for the why and identify every single time and identify either to our friends or our family members, understand ourselves, why the, the why isn't present and articulate, find a way to articulate for ourselves, for the people around us, what happens to the quality of the information when that why is missing. Because I think that, I think the pandemic is a really good example of this, that there's this, there's this kind of like vortex of, of, oh my God, the pandemic, this is so bad. This is so bad. More deaths every day, more infections every day. Well, how do we even know? We don't even know what's going on. There's no information. Oh my God, it's so bad. It's so bad. And that is destroying people's mental health, clearly. And it has very huge impacts on the, the ability, the ability to kind of poke your head up and say, okay, but like, why, what are the forces behind 
whipping the side of take this pandemic seriously up into a vortex of of like, you know, an, an unexitable kind of fear. Who is that serving? And why is that helpful? Well, because actually all you do is the people who are the most who have the most critical things to say about how things are going on right now. Uh, are disoriented, are unable to get out of this kind of vortex, and then therefore they're isolated, marginalized, and not driving anything. Whereas like that, the, the, the majority of people are like, you know, yeah, I'm going back. My mask is off. I'm good. I've had COVID twice now, like no big deal. And politicians know that they play more to those people than the people who have the critical voices. So if you're if you're in a critical world on an issue, regardless of what the issue is, and I'm, I'm using COVID just because you know I wrote a fucking book about it, so I've been paying a lot of attention to it. Being able to step back and to and to do our best to try and not get sucked into the way that the power wants us to be, and instead able to identify, call out, and and, and critique in a in a way that that identifies those structures, I think it can do a lot of good for people's mental health because it allows that why to be back injected into the conversation, and it also then allows people to be searching for then we've got the why now what's the solution now what's the way to organize ourselves because one of the things that i think that people are surprised by though i'm not is that despite all of the attention on long-term care all of the horror that happened in long-term care all of the 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 discussions around how to reform long-term care two and a half years later there's been absolutely no popular movement that has emerged to fight against the conditions that exist within long-term care there have been um, there have been small groups of people trying to do that, but that didn't manage to break into the uh, the other group of people that are like, you know, talking about it all the time or who are the ones who journalists call all the time uh, to then actually turn it into a movement. And I think that that is is because it's so disoriented, because that why there are some people that absolutely know the why you'll have voices like the Disability Justice Network of Ontario able to fucking give you the whole explanation of the why and the uh, opportunity for the for the bones of a social movement structure. But that they can't get through to the people that are in that vortex that are spinning around going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's so bad. And so. When we're in these kinds of these kinds of um, foggy holding patterns, f- taking action is really, really, really difficult. And there's a reason for why news is disorienting us like this. It's because then we cannot take action. Then we are just constantly talking about taking action rather than taking that action. And the the impact of that is, I mean, obvious is that that you've got politicians now that have that are just denying that there's ever been a pandemic, that there's that the entire history of the pandemic is already half erased. <laughs> Like it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. While journalists are just like following the news of the day, and what well, what what can I do? I mean, here's here's the news of the day. Here's the news of the day, as if like history doesn't exist. In some of this, uh, what you're saying, like our our responsibility to point out the why, is uh, really connected to another uh, show that we did. Um, that is, you know, uh, one of our most popular shows. A lot of people talk about it. It it, it was called Critiquing Critique. Um, I, and the the reason it's connected is because I think I think you know uh, we talked about in that episode how one of the the easiest things that we can do as people on the left or people who are activists or change makers are trying to to shift things is to point out how something sucks or point out uh, why it's wrong and like provide an analysis. But kind of what we're talking about here is that in that doing that uh, critique, it should be strategic. 
uh, critique should be a strategic way to um, to take to to encourage groups of people to take the leap into making some sort of change. And um, this, all of this stuff that we're talking about, the news and how we get it and how it is divorced from why, is a part of that. I mean, part of the reason, as uh, Nora uh, talked about, you know, that these, the people who own our media are totally fine with there being no why is because it, it fully benefits them to keep people in a place where you're you're listening to the news literally as just like points of information that have nothing to do with your life or what you can do or how you can change the conditions under which you live which is why it's so important for us to have a an intervention into that that is focused on not just explaining the why but it's tr- explaining the why in a strategic way that helps people figure out how to create that movement that changes long-term care, how to create that movement that says uh, there shouldn't be fees for uh, any sort of education if we want our world to be uh, created in such a way where we don't have deficits in, in, um, in the knowledge uh, and practices that we desperately need to keep our communities alive. Um, that, that, you know, a, a strategic way of explaining the why that encourages people to understand that, yes, climate, the climate crisis is happening to us, but we actually do have uh, power collectively to have an impact on that. And here's how. Uh, and I think... Get like, and we say this so uh, you know, really do go back and listen to uh, Critiquing Critique if you haven't listened to it already. We said it in, in that episode. So much of our critique is just, it's just easy, it's just all over the place. But in a world where no one is telling us the why, we really do have to be strategic about how we are um, uh, providing an analysis. Uh, to our communities, to ourselves, and what that analysis then leads people to do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like to then also explain or help us understand why the allure of fake news is so strong. You know, I had a, I wrote a thread about this um, a couple of weeks ago and there was some, you know, some, it got a lot of sharing. I mean, I was, t- I was speaking directly to journalists, but a lot of non-journalists were interested in what I was saying. I've been doing these workshops on fake news for union members. And it's really interesting because, you know, uh, union, like I'm, I'm talking to leadership, but like local leadership. So not people who are too high up, who are still, many of them are working their jobs still. The, the union position that they hold is uh, either volunteer or like a part-time position. And obviously everyone's really concerned about it. But I find myself in doing these workshops on fake news that I spend far more time explaining corporate media and the demise of corporate media to explain the rise of fake news that, you know, you're not being lied to, but you are definitely not getting the whole truth. Or you can tell that something's off. You can tell that this piece of information is coming from Toronto and not from, you know, Regina. Or you can tell that this piece of information um, is, is spinning this in a way that is not exactly addressing your reality. And I think that I don't think that journalists really appreciate just how insidious this is. Uh, that there is a lot of space between them and folks on the ground, average people. There's a lot of space between um, uh, journalists who've been working for decades and like 
homeless people. Like there's a huge amount of space there. Um, and, and that their own biases and experiences really do shape how they tell the stories that they tell. And I think that unless we can get like a popular understanding of how fucked media concentration is in this country, who owns what, you know, the fact that post media not just being led uh, now by an Irving, but uh, also being a, a company that's owned mostly by hedge funds, like this has a has a fundamental impact on the quality of our news. And it will continue to get worse and fake news will continue to get worse as a result, um, especially in Canada, where it's like even worse than other other parts of the world, because then you can't even really criticize news and still be kind of like allowed to publish in mainstream news. So I usually end these workshops with like, I don't have any good solutions. I can name and maybe we should name some of our favorite independent outlets for people to pay attention to or, or throw some money at or whatever. But um, I, I, my faith in mainstream uh, corporate media being able to reform itself is zero. And so in talking about the way things should be, I have to identify that I don't think that they are capable of changing. I think that they are on a slide towards complete fucking shit and obsolete, uh, obsolescence. <laughs> is that the word? Uh, to being obsolete. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and that the only thing that's going to replace them is like the absolute fucking worst of, of the worst of what we've got as news because it's the only thing that can make a fucking buck. So having said all that, I mean, I hope people check out their favorite independent news sources. Um, the Maple has been producing some really excellent stuff. I got to work for them uh, for the for the Ontario election, but they're, they do really great stuff. People should check out the Maple. You should check out uh, uh, the other place that I write at, which is Passage for Opinion and Analysis. You won't get news there, but it's an opinion and analysis site. Press Progress is awesome. If you're not paying attention to Press Progress, you really should be. Then there's a lot of other independents like Chris Curtis's The Road which I've also written for. That's really excellent uh, Quebec-based news. I mean, Sandy, do you have any you want to throw onto the list? Well, I think actually listening to you say this, I think what we should do maybe is maybe we create a page on our website. Maybe I create a page on our website and give myself a task. <laughs> and you folks, you folks send us um, all of your favorite independent media and left-wing media, and we'll, we'll just throw it up there as um, places that people can um, can take a look at because I think um, that one of the things that uh, independent media can uh, sometimes suffer from is just not enough um, uh, people knowing about it. So you know, let's 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 do some work to solve that problem uh, amongst our listeners and just throw it up there. So if you folks have a particular independent media or left-wing media that you're really interested in, um, uh, one that I'll name that you didn't is uh, Spring. Um, uh, spring media, um, like the spring media network. Um, if you folks have stuff that you're interested in, send, send it to us and I'll put together a page on our website, um, that links to a whole bunch of different news sites. Um, before, great idea. Yeah. Thanks. I only have great ideas. Um, <laughs> before we sign off, just want to tell y'all that we're going to take a little bit of a summer break. So yay. this is going to be, yay, <laughs> this is going to be our last episode for a few weeks. Um, and you'll, uh, you'll hear from us very, very soon. Uh, anything else to say about that, Nora? Or 
No, just that, like, so people understand. I mean, we love we love doing the show, and um, we are actively looking for live show venues in the fall. So, of course, be in touch with us if you have any connections to theaters or uh, things going on that you think that we can uh, do a live show at. But um, it it's a lot of work to put the show together. Um, it really is. It's 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 several hours a week of of recording and editing and re-listening and re-editing and then all of the administration to post it. And it's just Sandy and I and um, and I'm looking forward to a break, <laughs> to be honest. I think that <laughs> yeah. it'll be good. And I, I do think, though, that the fall is going to be jam-packed uh, full of stuff for us to talk about. So I don't know when we'll be back, whether that will be um, before the end of August or just in time for September. It's going to depend on our travel schedules because we're both just kind of all over the place, which is why we have to take this this break. But um, regardless of when you hear us, if it's in three weeks or in four uh, or I don't know, who knows, maybe two, I don't know. Uh, just know that we support, we, we appreciate the support like a lot. Uh, we need the break <laughs> and, um, and you folks make this possible. Like you folks make the podcast possible, your feedback, your comments, even if we miss it and we don't respond, like, please know that we see everything and we couldn't do any of this without your, uh, incredible support. So thank you all so, so, so much. And thank you for indulging us in a little tiny break, meaning that I don't have to spend my Monday night editing for the first time in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so, so much. It was actually really nice this weekend um, when I was in Halifax at the National Black Canadian Summit, how many people were like, oh my God, your podcast with Nora. It's so great. And uh, how many people were, were showing love to us. So uh, really uh, pleased uh, that so many of you have been touched with by this podcast. And so, I don't know, it's like happy. We're being mushy before we go off. Um, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Have a great break, Nora. Thanks. You too. <laughs> 